The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. As always, well, actually, can't say as always. We're back in Garage Mahal for the first time. Yes, we are. Don't tell the cops. <laughs> they don't know where Garage Mahal is. So. Yeah, they probably just think it's my basement. It is my basement. <laughs> so please are not listening to our podcast. <laughs> that's that's true. Well, anyway, it's P Nate and the Elder Poot. How do we feel about that one? <laughs> I think it's, you know, I'm just going to call you Pooty. Can I confess that I'm, I think I'm ready to retire Pooty? I want to go to Chris now, I think. It was funny for those who are new to listening to us, Chris has just always been Pooty. His last name is Poots, so his, he's always been Pooty. And we have like this whole influx of people at church because we're the only church open. So everybody comes to our church. And Chris is desperately trying to introduce himself to everybody as Chris. And then people will be like, who's this Pooty that you keep talking about? It's like, it's not going to happen. I'm you know to, eventually Pootie's going to get out and that's all people are going to call you. It's like when a kid goes to a new school, he gets a chance to change the culture of his life. I'm trying that at church. It's just not yeah, working. I'll, and it's not I, working because you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll do my best. I'll do better. I'll do better. I'll try. All right, Chris. It feels weird. <laughs> it, it feels weird. weird. I can't it feels do weird. it. Yeah. Well, we're back. We're here. We're the Rebel Podcast. Welcome to everybody who's listening to us for maybe the second time on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network Canada. Uh, we're looking forward to being a part of this. And... Uh, if you haven't heard yet, go over and listen to uh, uh, Leadership Now with uh, Reverend Dr. Aaron Rock. Slowly, you're going to start to see more Canadian names pop up on there. Uh, there's a lot happening in Canada, so <laughs> we want to keep you informed. Hopefully, you'll keep hearing this, but we all might be in jail soon. So. Oh, man. Seriously. Speaking of jail, great segue. <laughs> Right now, Pastor James Coates, who many of you have heard, uh, the the CrossPolitik guys have had him on several times. Uh, I was on with him on a special episode of CrossPolitik not that long ago. He was in jail for 35 days. His trial started yesterday. Yesterday from when we are recording this. His, his mock trial. His mock trial, yeah. So he did a great job. He was put on the stand. Have you watched any of it, by the way? Uh, no, I just knew that the trial started yesterday and I, Monday's always a busy day. So, um, I prayed for him and then, uh, you know, just was hoping to get an update today kind of thing. Well, let me update you, Chris. Notice Chris, let me update you. Okay. So his trial started, but this is why Pudi was calling it a mock trial. So on April 16th, the judge in this trial ruled that the government does not have to provide any evidence to support the lockdown measures and the COVID-19 protocols that James Coates is on trial for not implementing. Okay, so let me just clarify so I make sure I'm hearing what you're saying. Yeah. So the, the court ruled that the prosecution doesn't have to produce any evidence 
to com- to condemn the accused in the situation. Yes. So so what happened was um, so the court granted, and again this is on April sixteenth. You can go to the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, who is representing Pastor James Coates, and they put out an article on this. But basically, so the court ruled. They granted the government's request that Pastor Coates is not permitted to challenge the constitutional validity of Dr. Dina Hinshaw's orders at the trial. So she's the chief medical officer out in Alberta, and so it's her her health mandates. So the government lawyers told the court of Alberta that they would not produce any scientific evidence in support of Dr. Hinshaw's orders. So they don't have to provide any scientific evidence that would say that this stuff works, and... James Coates' lawyer is not allowed to challenge the constitutional validity of them themselves. So it, it is a mock trial because they're not permitting. So, I mean, what, what will likely happen here is he's probably going to be found guilty of something and it'll have to get challenged and it'll have to get all the way up likely to the Canadian Supreme Court or the higher court of appeals in order to challenge the constitutional validity. But here we have, and I, I want people to understand this because... Some of our American listeners might be listening to that and just think that's absurd, and it is. I want you to understand how absurd it is. Alberta is the most conservative of all the Canadian provinces. This would be like if in a Texas lower court, the judge ruled that somebody was not, a pastor was not allowed to challenge the, the constitutional validity of these lockdown orders and, and grant the government's request that they not provide any scientific evidence. My mind is being blown at just how your average person, because we still feel like it's not even just your average person. Like here we are. One of the things Chris and I do all the time is try to get other pastors in our area, other pastors who are friends to open their churches. And we still have people who refuse to believe that the government is not acting in our best interests. It's like, why would the government not want the scientific evidence to be debated? Show me your work. Like, don't we all want, aren't we all on the side of science here? It's because we we're living in like, not we, but I mean, people are living with a naive worldview. I posted something on Facebook about another friend of our, a friend of ours having cops show up during his church service. And it was alarming to me that I got not one, two people messaged me and were like, oh, his account was hacked. And it's like, no, his account wasn't hacked. You just don't want to believe that this is what's happening in Canada. Yeah. And what happened was, just uh, so people know the story, uh, I won't say any names of, of the churches or the, the people because you were avoiding it for some reason. So I'll just, I'll just go with that. <laughs> but a friend of ours who's a pastor in Toronto, their church was open and uh, they had people coming in um, kind of using a side door and 15 police officers in full riot gear entered their church building to try to disrupt the service when Chris posted, so he just reposted that pastor's post about the incident and multiple people were like, Oh, his account must've got hacked that like, he wouldn't have claimed that that happened. Clearly it didn't. It's easier to believe that somebody hacked a social media account than it is to believe that this is what's going on. But I can assure you as one of the pastors who is in the crosshairs of the authorities right now, this is crazy. Yeah, exactly. This is what's going on. And so, and this is like back to the the coats part. This is what's so scary about it is because it's not even based on on evidence. This is the Salem witch trials. Like, that's right. Like if we burn her, well, she's not a witch. Be like, well, you're burning her anyway. So at this point, like, what is what can Coates do to defend himself if he's not allowed to like challenge the evidence that he's being accused on? Imagine if this was a murder trial and the justice center didn't have to didn't have to put any evidence that this person actually committed it. We would all be 
outraged at the injustice, right. yet we're quietly in Canada. I'm yeah. not saying there are a, mi- a vocal minority that are fighting this, but the majority of people are silently clapping that he's on trial for this. this Absolutely. Is, Christians, this is, too. It, like, that's what's ridiculous. I'm just going to throw it out there. The gospel, <laughs> the gospel Coalition Canada has been shameful through all of this. And some of their board members and some of their their high council have applauded the shutdown of churches, the charging of pastors, and the imprisonment of pastors. Like, it is shameful what's going on here. That's supposed to be a reformed voice. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Those are the pastors we're telling to open their... Like churches. Yeah. <laughs> You're getting fired up there. <laughs> we, almost, we almost had to beep that. Um, okay, so this is just a quote from uh, Pastor James Coates' lawyer, James Kitchen. So this is in response to that ruling that the Crown does not have to provide evidence. He says this, After 13 months of violating charter freedoms, the Alberta government refuses to present evidence in support of lockdowns in court. And unfortunately, the court has permitted the government to delay facing accountability in regard to their charter violations. We are now in our 13th month of charter violating lockdowns in what was supposed to be a temporary two-week measure to flatten the curve. By May 3rd, the government will have had 14 months to assemble proper medical and scientific evidence to justify lockdowns and the resulting violations of our fundamental charter freedoms for the Alberta government to request that it not be required to provide evidence on May 3rd in support of Dr. Hinshaw's orders while at the same time barricading the church is both reprehensible and pathetic. Absolutely. So that's why it's a mock trial. But now let me tell you what basically happened at the trial. Pastor James Coates did take the stand And interestingly, if you go through, I'm just on uh, the Edmonton Journal right here. Uh, The Edmonton area pastor charged with flouting COVID-19 restrictions, tugged at his face mask and called the disease a, quote, so-called pandemic, end quote, as he took the stand on day one of his trial on Monday. Just the opening sentence, you can tell what emotions they are trying to elicit and who's the bad guy in their article, right? The journalism on this has been absolutely pathetic. He was questioned, and basically this article is painting him as a COVID denier who has been, you know, keeping his people in danger and um, avoiding authorities and acting in a reckless sort of way. But for anybody who actually watched it, James did a great job. He, he really, he represented himself well, even in calling things a so-called pandemic. He was respectful. But basically what he was saying is, you know, there aren't bodies piling up in the streets. Like, this is what we were told. We were told a million Canadians were, were going to die from this thing. And that just isn't the case. In this article here, it says he compared it to the flu. Okay, that's the quote. He compared it to the flu. Well, he did. What he said was, this is more dangerous to a vulnerable demographic than the flu, but less dangerous to a healthy demographic. That's absolutely true. Scientifically, medically, that is absolutely true. And yet, what do they say? He compared it to the flu because that's what will elicit the emotional reaction. They have to make him the villain in the scenario because what he's saying is what makes sense, right? Um, So everybody, if you look around if you look with your eyes and not just read what's in the in the newspapers or on see what's on tv you actually look around you don't see bodies piled up in the streets we had one friend this week saying they're burning bodies in the the hospital's parking lots and be like that's just not happening that's That's, just that's i don't know where you got that (laughs) exactly it's just not not true so they have to paint him in a in a light that makes him look villainous because they're they're about to for lack of a better term, they're about to crucify somebody who's innocent. You know what I mean? And we've seen what happens yep. when that when that happens in the past, right? Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what's happening with James Coach. I think it's important to point out, like, 
I don't think anybody, and Coates isn't one of these people, none of us are COVID deniers. But what we are denying is is the COVID that people have created in their brains. Right. And so, like, and as Christians, and so I'm speaking specifically to our Christian audience now, but we are not called to make idols out of anything. And that includes, mm-hmm. like, we can't build up a disease in our mind to make an idol out of this disease. Right. We have to treat it as it is in real life. We have to treat it as it in its proper place. And is COVID is COVID real? Yes. Is does it are people affect, dying from it? Yes, hundred percent. But like at that at this point, like we can't treat COVID like we would treat Ebola or smallpox because the evidence and the science, like we don't, aren't, they're not the same thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So interestingly, the only witness that the crown had is a health inspector named Janine Hanrahan. And in her testimony, she says she went there several times. She witnessed people hugging, shaking hands, touching each other's shoulders and speaking to one another without face masks. This is the evidence, right? Like, what world are we living in when it's just like, yeah, they were shaking hands and then everybody like clutches their pearls and gasps in the audience. Like, Oh, sorry, there's not an audience because of COVID. So, but they would be as they're watching from, you know, zoom or whatever, they're watching the trial, they're clutching their pearls. Like you don't say they touched hands. Well, of course they would their family, right? What do you do when your family comes over? You give them a hug. Yeah. You give them a holy kiss. Oh, man. So anyway, that's what's going on in Canada right now. And and essentially what Chris and I kind of wanted to to talk about today, we want to talk about this a little bit because there there are still all kinds of Christians who are on the side of keeping churches closed, you know, love your neighbor by staying away from your neighbor and all that kind of stuff. You know, we can go to Zoom church or we can reduce numbers. We can go online. It's just temporary. And we just kind of want to talk against that. Now, we've been talking against that for a long time and probably you've heard where we're commanded to gather all those kinds of things. I want to kind of take it at a different route right now, because one of the things I keep hearing is we're not acting very Christ-like. That's what I keep hearing. I keep getting accused of not being like Jesus. Jesus was was meek. Jesus was loving. Jesus was caring. He didn't want to put anybody in harm's way. He didn't elicit, you know, a civil disobedience. He didn't call his people to rise up against a tyrannical government. You know, he just quietly did his thing and loved people. So I want to specifically talk about that. And I want to start off by saying that we're all amazed at the power of Jesus And oftentimes when we talk about, when we read some of the stories of his healing ministry, we marvel at the power of Jesus, as we should. What I want to say today is I just want to remind people that Jesus didn't just heal lepers, he touched lepers. I think that's a big deal. I think that's a bigger deal than people think. So I'm in Mark chapter 1. Jesus is preaching all over Galilee. I'll just start from verse 35. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next town, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. And then you start getting into some specific stories. Verse 40 starts one of those stories. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. So that's in Mark chapter 1. You can also go to Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 8, 
This is starting in verse 8. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. So notice he's in a crowded area. It doesn't say anything about social distancing. (laughs) And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, make me clean. And Jesus stretched his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And then notice what happens right afterwards. He enters Capernaum. A centurion came to him. We remember this story. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. And uh, Jesus heals uh, his servant. And then in verse 14, so follow the narrative. So he touches a leper. Then he goes into the city. And then in verse 14, and when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever. Okay, here's another infectious disease. And he touched her hand and the fever left her. Here's a sick person. He touched a leper. And then he immediately went and touched an old lady with a, with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And then the narrative goes to when he's in a house that is so crowded <laughs> that they actually have to lower people through the roof. So I say this, and then the, in, in the Mark passage, it talks about him going into Capernaum as well and going into the, the temple. So here's Jesus, who is touching lepers, contagious disease, touching lepers, touching women with fevers, and going into crowded areas. Now, I use lepers specifically because under the Old Testament law, anybody who touched a leper was unclean. All right. Socially, historically, we know again at this time period that lepers were actually not permitted in the cities, that they would have their own. This is where the the term leper colony comes from, that they had their own kind of sick colony outside of the cities. And so there'd be this little like shanty town next to the big cities full of lepers because they weren't allowed to come into the cities and nobody would go over to them. So the fact that Jesus touched lepers was huge. And the fact that he touched them and then went into the city and into the temple. Do you suppose, Chris, that there are some people, some of the Pharisees or scribes perhaps in the temples who are saying, oh my goodness, he just touched a leper and then he came to synagogue. How unloving of him. Absolutely. This is why the Jewish rabbis had added extra laws about cleanliness for washing their hands and things like that to avoid this scenario, right? Like somebody who accidentally touched. Jesus didn't even accidentally touch. He purposely touched. But they had all these extra layers of cleanliness law to avoid contagious spread and stuff like that. And Jesus basically flaunts all of it by going, touching the lepers and coming in and going about his business in the the temple. Like, right? And so... There'll be an element of people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question here, Nate. There's an element of people who will be like, well, that's Jesus, not us. What do you say to the people who says, well, of course Christ can do it. He, he can't catch the disease because he can't be sick. He can't like, and all, all that stuff. But what about the disciples? Were they doing it? Okay. So number one, yes, throughout the book of Acts, we do see the disciples doing the exact same thing. But beyond that, let's go to the, the epistle of James because James is giving instructions to the church at large, right? He's, he's given instructions to every church member and every church elder in James chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 13. So this is James 5, 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So I want you to notice a couple things there. Number one... There were still lepers at the time. Jesus did not heal leprosy off the earth during his earthly ministry, which means when when this instruction is given to the church leaders 
and to the church members, if anyone is sick, it doesn't give any caveats unless it's leprosy, like that, you know, unless it's a contagious disease and unless it's a contagious respiratory disease that we've labeled a pandemic, right? Church elders, and I, I want to say this very, very clearly because people will be like, oh, like, come on, Nate. No, no, no. If somebody in our congregation contracted COVID-19 and they called for the elders of the church, we would go and we would lay our hands on them and pray for them. Absolutely. Yeah. In our bare hands. Not like we wouldn't come yeah. in with like... <laughs> Masked up <laughs> like, in a hazmat. <laughs> exactly. Because that's what we're called to do, right? Like, right. And that's what and is... That's, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to that, that's our task. Yeah. That's our role. I think there's an element of all of this where it's just like... But we have to find a way around what scripture says, because I don't think anybody argues that like, oh, the Bible clearly says elders should pray over the sick. I think it's right there. You can't read scripture and not, right. s- not see that. But I think people argue around it and add caveats, just like the Jews did with the cleanliness laws. They add caveats because of fear. You know what I mean? And they, like, because they have a default position that they think that we're called to safety and we're yeah. not. Yeah. Tease that out a little bit. Keep going. If you look throughout all the scripture that God has never promised us safety. He's never promised us any comfort on earth. In fact, he Mark 10, he goes, goes far with the disciples. We all know the story. He's sending disciples. you out like sheep among wolves. <laughs> that doesn't sound very safe. Yeah. Well, Mark 10, Mark 10, he actually, it was when John and James asked Jesus, well, can we sit at your right and left hand? And he says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And what's the cup he's talking about that at that time, his baptism in his cup, he says, you will drink the cup that I drink and you will suffer the baptism I suffer. And what he's talking about, there is suffering. And look at what happened to the disciples. John was boiled alive and, and imprisoned on an island for basically his whole life. James was, I believe, beheaded mm-hmm. um, out of those two. So those two very clearly, but then you can look at all the other apostles and they all, and they all died horrific deaths for the gospel. God has never called us to safety. In fact, I, w- I would go as far as to say God has never called us to try to keep safe ourselves. So when he calls us, look, look back in the Old Testament, how many times did God send Israel to war? Right. You don't send people to war if you're worried about their safety. I think where the fundamental where I would say people like the gospel coalition, I'm going to throw them under the bus. And a lot of our brothers, our brothers in this fight have missed the point on this is that they think that safety is our calling and, mm. and, and church elders are not called to keep our people safe. I'm not responsible for anybody in my church getting right. COVID. I'm not responsible for them getting a heart attack. Right. We're not called to keep them safe. We're called to lead them, to teach them, to preach and teach them, to defend them against false teaching and to pray over them when they're sick. Right. We're not responsible for this, for anyone's safety. That's God's role. And so when we start mm. to assert authority that God hasn't actually given us in, in people's life, then we put on a burden on ourselves that we can't possibly ever hope to attain. Right. Like you can't keep me from getting sick. It's well, just- one thing that you brought up that I want to circle back around to, and I, I, I really hope people see this parallel. The Pharisees in worrying about breaking God's law, okay, they added man's law around God's law as a separate barrier, right? So for example, God's law says, don't plow your field on the Sabbath, okay? So the Pharisees, you know, the intellectuals in their high ivory towers start asking questions saying, well, we, we live in a home with a dirt floor. When I drag my chair across the ground, it, it kind of tills up the ground a little bit. Like, is that considered plowing? <laughs> Right. Like these are the questions that they're asking themselves. So the, the scribes, the law of the scribes and the Pharisees said that you could not on the Sabbath pull your chair across the room. If you're going to move furniture on the Sabbath, you had to pick it up and move with it. But Chris, 
You're also not allowed to do a whole lot of heavy labor on the Sabbath, so you can only take it a certain number of steps. Didn't know if you knew that. So they put all these laws around God's law because they don't want to be in violation of plowing a field. Therefore, you can't even pull a chair across your room. Well, what's interesting about that is you start looking at the the command, especially on the Sabbath, to be hospitable and have people in your room, in your home. You should be moving as much furniture around to accommodate all the people in your house, right? And so it, it actually ends up not allowing you to do the very thing that the law is calling you to do. That's why there's a sort of law keeping that leads to law breaking. And this is why Jesus came along and he said, man was not created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. Now, interestingly, by the way, and, but what's interesting, I do want to say a couple things. So this same Jesus who touched lepers also was getting into trouble with the, the religious elites of his day for doing good things on the Sabbath, right? He was healing people on the Sabbath. His, his disciples were collecting grain on the Sabbath, right? As they walked along. And so here we are, you know, among several churches who are being chastised and ostracized and condemned and criticized for doing good things on the Sabbath, right? God is doing awesome things on the Lord's day and Lord's day worship. And we're being criticized for it. Why? Because people want to put barriers now around God's law. God's law tells us that we must gather, that we are to worship him, that we are to assemble before the Lord, right? All of these things, we are to lay hands on one another. We are to greet one another with a holy kiss. All of these things that we are commanded to do when we gather, when we gather, because gathering is a command. You know what's hilarious? (laughs) Jonathan Lehman, all right, I'll just throw out some more names for you. Jonathan Lehman, who is part of the nine marks in the States, he wrote a book, and I'm, I've never been a huge Jonathan Lehman fan, but I've never also been a Jonathan Lehman hater. And somebody gave me, because I think they had a second copy of his book called One Assembly, where he wrote a book, and it came out the year before COVID. His whole point was, we must gather, we must gather physically, and we must gather as one. It was against multiple services. It was against like online services. And then a year later, COVID hits, and he's the first one to close his church and go to online services and try to defend it. Now, I don't know Jonathan Lehman, so I don't know the character. I don't know any of that kind of stuff. All I'm going to say is that we've sorted out this question before. Like, the church has not historically, theologically, scholars and pastors have not been confused on whether or not the church should gather. It's only now when we're trying to justify shutting our churches down, when we start saying stupid things like, well, Hebrews 10.25 isn't really a command. It's more like a suggestion. Or like, what does neglect really mean? Yeah, exactly. It means if your church is still closed after 14 months, you're neglecting. Like, yeah. For anybody who's listening, who the whose church is closed, think on your, your pastor, challenge your pastor with this idea of like, what happens a year from now? Let's let's assume COVID has disappeared in a year. In Canada, it's unlikely, but um, in the States, it probably will. But a year from now when COVID's gone and your members stop showing up for every Sunday and you have to go to them and be like, well, you're commanded to gather. You should be here weekly. Why aren't you attending? How can you then go back to them and be like, well, church is a command if you're not meeting now because you're telling them right now, what you're saying right now is that church attendance is optional. This isn't a command in scripture that this is something you can pick and choose. Therefore, what about all the other commands in scripture? Thou shall not commit homosexuality, yeah, tithing, you're all these. You're teaching like, your people to pick and choose. Exactly. Right? You're and teaching your people that there is a time and a place when disobedience is justified. 
that's what you're teaching them. Absolutely. There is no caveat in scripture for a Christian who loves Jesus and hates the church. That's yeah. like saying you can love the groom, but hate the bride. It's not a thing that, yeah. that no husband is going to hang out with you. If you keep dissing his bride. Exactly. Like uh, it's a little different for us because they're, they're sisters. But if I hated your wife, would we hang out? No. no, of course not. Because like I, how can I hate something that you adore? Right. You know what I mean? Like that you're willing to lay down your life for. It's not possible. Paul in Corinthians, I think, says like when he talks about marriage, he's he's referring to the church. Like he's right. this mystery is profound. I speak of the of the church. It's the same idea. You can't you can't love Jesus and hate the church, which also means if you love Jesus, you have to do what he's commanded the church to do, which is to be together. Right. So going back to this idea of these laws around, so so you have these people who are saying, well, these are just health measures and you're not a scientist or you're not a you know health professional or whatever. So masks, right? So you and I don't believe that masks do a whole lot. We've looked at our studies. You know, I think the Marine Corps study coming out of the States was actually pretty solid. If you, you can just Google that Marine Corps mask study and uh, you'll see. But what they'd say is, well, how inconvenient is it for you to wear masks in the church? Or how inconvenient is it for you to stay socially distant for a little while or not serve coffee in the church or whatever? I would say two things. Number one, it is actually far more inconvenient than you think. I can't tell you how many people I've heard say you don't realize how heavy these restrictions are until you're out from under them, right? We, we, people who show up and just start crying because they're able to see people smile at them and their kids aren't afraid because not everybody's masked and looks, you know, it, like it, it is big. Actually, I would also point you back to our last episode about sphere sovereignty because um, at the end of the day, the moment the moment you say we can disregard this command of scripture because the government has said this, you're allowing Caesar to be head of your church. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, is, is you're putting barriers around fellowship. The New Testament has so much to say about this, right? You think right now your church has difficulties between the maskers and the non-maskers? I mean, try to be a, a pastor in the early church when you got Jews and Gentiles and you have Jews who legitimately don't believe that they can eat with the Gentiles because that will make them ceremonially unclean and unacceptable to God. Yeah, we're going to get there because it's going to be like, I can't meet with the un- the vaxxers and the unvaxxers can't meet. Well, like, I've already seen coming. I've already seen some social media posts about certain churches that have now vaccinated sections and unvaccinated sections. And that's like, well, that's like having a circumcised side and an uncircumcised side, right? Like that's, that's what's going on here. And in case anybody's going, oh, you're taking it too far. Like, let's not forget that Paul, he chastised Peter openly and publicly when he forwent eating with the Gentiles to go and eat with the Jews because he said, hey, this is a gospel issue, Peter. That's, that's Galatians too. Go and check it out. This yeah. is a gospel issue when you will not associate with certain brothers because you are forcing them to do something in order to be acceptable in fellowship and in worship. It's adding a work to, to salvation. Absolutely. Right? Like, it's not something that we should ever do. And I think the, the example I think you, you brought up is profound because that shows Paul going against basically the church godfathers at that time, Peter yeah. and James, the two, yeah. the two big wigs. Um, and he went up against them and said, what you guys are doing. He didn't come gently being like, what you guys are doing is wrong. It hurts my feelings. He came and was like, you're wrong. Repent. Right. When we think of all these, like, cause I know, cause I, we've all, we both already had people be like, you guys are just hard. You're yeah. just, you're just mean. Yeah. You're just cruel. You're not loving. Yeah. And it's just like, well, no, there, there are times for that. Mm-hmm. But the internal debate to our brothers and sisters 
there's a place and the place is now to be like, no, you're just, you just need to repent. Now I want to put a little caveat in here because we won't bind the conscience no, of, of anybody not. in our congregation, but we do allow freedom of conscience and it goes both ways. And so I, I will say that, you know, we're talking about Galatians and in Galatians one, right before he gets to two and, and the confrontation with Peter, Paul talks about bringing Titus with him to Jerusalem and basically saying to the Judaizers, like, you're going to circumcise him over my dead body. Like, no. But interestingly, in his second missionary journey, Paul does circumcise Timothy. Who's the real hero of that story. <laughs> seriously, <laughs> as an adult, in order to go and minister in Jewish regions. Now, now we have to wrestle with that because that's a real, that those are, those are conflicts. And we would not say Paul capitulated. No. What we would say is that there's a, a difference between voluntarily surrendering your rights or voluntarily doing something in order to minister to others. And there are times, as much as Chris hates it, that he'll throw on a mask to go and fellowship with some of the people in our church who do believe that masks, you know, work and are, are necessary. We'll do that out of love, not out of obligation. And that's the point here. We will not add those barriers. Someone can, can freely choose to surrender their rights at certain times, and they can. But here's the thing. You have to recognize who it is that you're ministering to. If you're perpetuating a lie in the person's mind... If Paul went in with circumcised Timothy over there, and uh, you know Timothy, <laughs> Timothy's a little bit sore, and Paul <laughs> and, and they go in, and Paul's like, you know, hey, don't worry, guys, you're safe to eat with us because he's circumcised. That's doing it wrong, right? He can't say that. That's not true. But what he will say is, look. He got circumcised in order to come and have this conversation with you. But now let's talk about the unnecessariness for lack of a better phrase, of circumcision, right? Like he used it as a foot in the door. He used it as a, as a bridge. And so I, I just throw that caveat out there. There are pastors who are maybe uh, putting a little bit more protocols in place than I would feel comfortable with and maybe even being a little bit more heavy-handed but at the end of the day, you want to implement some protocols, that's fine. You do that. And I've tried very hard not to judge other pastors at other churches in their context. I don't know the age demographic. I don't know how many COVID cases they've had, all that kind of stuff. I want to be clear. The caveat for people who are still meeting to like, oh, we're going to, we're going to yeah. try to like allow people to exercise freedom of conscience, social distance, get the vax, mask. We're fine with people doing that. What we were originally talking about, though, like I just want to clarify, like you can do that unless scripture commands different. So you like, exactly. you, you can do that when you're open, but like right. scripture doesn't give you the command to be closed in the first place. Well, so. and, and scripture does not give elders the authority to mandate masks. Absolutely. So you can suggest it, you can lead with it, all that kind of stuff. But if you are denying people worship, if you're sending people out of the church because they're not wearing a mask or because they're hugging one another or whatever, like now you're in violation. You're going to have to stand before God and try to tell him why he commanded them to, to greet one another with a holy kiss and you denied that. And we keep saying the holy kiss thing. People at Crossroads aren't smooching each other all over the foyer. I, I do think that there's a cultural aspect to that greeting, but here's what it does imply. Intimacy, closeness. The Christian word for fellowship, koinonia, actually implies intimacy. There's an intimate connotation to that word fellowship. When Christians use the word fellowship, we're not talking about socialization. We're talking about me, like you guys talking about the Oilers game or the Blue Jays game. That's not Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship is when you are talking about things that matter with people who are bound together by the blood of Christ. Yeah. And that does not happen when you're keeping everything sanitized and everybody at bay. We've gotten to a habit of thinking of church like basically just another golf club. Right. Um, where we come, we hang out with some of our friends, we do the activity, and then we go back to our actual lives. 
Church is different than that. We're, we're meant to be in each other's lives. I think it's Paul, but uh, there's that, the verse of it, like when your brother suffers, you suffer with him. When yeah. he's happy, you're happy with him. Yeah. That only happens with family. Yeah. Church is a different thing. This is what people just don't sometimes get. Church is different because the people who come to our church, the our members of our church are my family yeah. now. You know what I mean? Like I, I, you, you say it all the time. Well, you don't say it all the time, but you said it from the pulpit multiple times. The analogy, blood is thicker than water isn't a reference to like family. What the reference is, the blood of Christ binds us better than the water of the womb. That's right. And so we are meant to have intimacy with the people in our, in our church family above. So exactly above. So even our own actual like earthly families. That's right. Um, That's where the phrase comes from. You can look it up. It's, it's the blood of Christ is thicker than the water of the womb. That's where that phrase comes from. So when people talk about, you know, oh, blood is thicker than water to refer to their earthly family, they're actually turning that phrase around. They're using it as it was never intended. Beautiful. Let's get practical for a second. So I'm going to ask yeah. you, a, I'm going to ask you a question as a pastor. So congregate comes to you like during this pandemic, how should Christians live during this pandemic, knowing what we know about yeah. what Jesus said about the sick, what the elders are supposed to do with the sick? So I think here's the thing. And I know, I know that there are going to be some people. So just stick with me here because I know this because we have people in our own church, dear people who are very, very dear to me, whose spouses I have buried, whose kids I have ministered to, who, you know, who I've counseled, who I have cried with. Like, I, I, I want you to know, I, I deeply, deeply love people who very, very much disagree with me and will likely never come back to my church because of how we've handled all of this. So I don't say this loosely. And so I want people who are listening to stick with me when I say this. We are called to live fearlessly. And I say stick with me because people hate it when I say things like we are not called to live in fear. And people say just because I'm being cautious doesn't mean I'm being fearful. I've heard pastors say that. I've heard pastors say we're not we're not perpetuating fear. We're not living out of fear. But then they'll post on their church website, you know, this is what it's going to look like when you come to church on Sunday. This is what we're doing to keep you safe. Okay? Language matters. This is what you're doing to keep me safe. When people came to Jesus and they said, you know, they're asking about the Tower of Siloam that fell and killed a bunch of people. And you think, you know, loving Jesus is going to answer so compassionately, like, oh, you know, my heart just breaks for the individuals and for their families. And for, you know, that's not how Jesus responded. He said, you know, you think they were worse sinners than you? Repent. (laughs) Like, that's literally what he says. And I, I, I say that not, Jesus wasn't cold, but Jesus had one thing in mind. Don't be fearful of them. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Be afraid of God who can kill the body and the soul in hell. We have made fear of God such a, uh, a pathetic thing. Scripture uses the, the phrase fear of God over and over again in Scripture. And people have made, oh, it, just, it, it doesn't mean to be afraid of God. God, your heavenly Father. He loves you with reckless love, right? <laughs> what it means is reverence. What it means is awe. It means just respect him. No, no, fear of God means fearing God. It means fearing the one who can kill the soul in hell. And yes, it comes with reverence. Yes, it comes with awe. But the point of the Bible, the point of fearing God is that if you fear God, you don't have to fear anything or anyone else. And this is what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 6 when he says, you know, don't be anxious for your life. Like God takes care of the sparrows. He clothes the lilies. Who by worrying can add one day to his life? The whole point there is God is sovereign. 
you know, a sparrow is going to fall to the ground, whether you shoot at it or not, it does not fall to the ground outside of God's sovereign decree. So the whole point here is, is God is sovereign over all things. Read Psalm 139, whether or not you get die from, recover, or are miraculously healed from COVID was written in your book before any day came to pass. That's what Psalm 139 tells us. Every day of your life was written in his book before any of the pages, any of your days came to pass. So I say all that to say we are called to be fearless. We fear God and nothing else. And I am truly worried about how it is that we advance the gospel and how we preach about the Jesus who conquered the grave, who took the sting out of death, who made it so that death was no longer something to be feared. How is it possible for us to not lose credibility with that message when we are just as fearful as the world in this? When we're just as distant, when we're just as cooped up, when we're just as masked up? And I'm not saying, oh, take the mask off so people don't think you're afraid. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, don't be afraid. Right? You are not given a spirit of fear, but a, a sound mind, right? Sound mind. And there's a lot of crazy right now. There's a lot of inebriated minds. <laughs> there are a lot of, you know, confused minds because they haven't done the research and they just say, oh, there's a consensus. Most medical experts agree. No, you got to be sober minded. You got to be clear thinking and you got to make sure that you know that God did not call us to fear. You know what? COVID-19 is not the Spanish flu. It's not, you know, the black plague. But even if it was, we'd still be called to not fear. Amen. We'd still be called to go lay hands on the sick. We would still be called to be the church. So I think this is just conditioning a whole generation of Christians to allow the fear driven by the media and by the politicians to infect our churches. Amen. I just want to point out, like, you quoted two verses there. And I, I think it's important to, for people to know you didn't cherry pick those verses. Those verses actually are in a sequence in Matthew 10 where it's yeah. like, don't fear the one who can destroy the body. Fear the one who can destroy the body and the soul in hell. Yeah. And then it goes into, look at the sparrows. They fall to the ground. It goes into the, like, don't worry about anything because if you fear me, I'm the only one who yeah. can do anything to you. In context there, it actually comes right after Jesus sends out his disciples. And he says, I'm sending you it as sheep amidst yeah. the wolves. And he says, the authorities are going to trample you. They're going to bring you before juries. They're going to bring you before politicians. They're going to bring you before the powers that be. But don't be afraid of them. That's the context that that's coming in. And FYI, his command when he's sending them out is go and drive out demons and heal the sick. So it is all in context right there. I mean, you're absolutely right. Yeah. There's nothing safe about confronting the dark power, like the, no. a demon. There's nothing yeah. safe about going out and doing that. And I think that's, um, I think that's so for Brown. And I think that Christians need to hear that message, but they also need to remember that we are on our own. Jesus yeah. paid a price for us. He bought Amen. our, um, his blood bought our bodies. He yeah. bought our lives. Yeah. Which he bought our church. He, he bought our church and he, yeah. he's left us a mission to go and subdue a blood bought world. That's right. And so at this point, do it. Yeah, go do it. Go do it. And pray for Pastor James Coates. Pray for the churches in Canada. And we'll see you next time on the Rebel Podcast. Peace.